Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is bad, but is it really as bad as Ben Affleck as Batman? Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking podcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you uh, way pre-recorded. It's uh, as, as I'm doing this, it's uh, Sunday morning, the 28th. And the reason it's way pre-recorded is because we are uh, off to Vegas for a socially distant uh, little vacation trip. So happy to get away. Um happy to get back to uh, Vegas and get a chance to sit with my pipe in some of my favorite spots, so looking forward to that. On this week's show, we have a review of Capstan Blue, and it's because I'm involved in another one of those uh, aging, uh, aging, uh, aged versus new version reviews, so this one you get is the new version of Capstan Blue. My guest is uh, Rick Newcomb with, uh, as we continue the Ask the Experts, Seven Questions for Seven Experts, Part Two. And this is our visit with Rick Newcomb. And then we'll have music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember, we are still gathering items for the JDRF fundraiser, so reach out to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com if you've got anything you would like to donate. We would greatly appreciate any donations of product. And remember, once we sell it, 100% of that sale price goes directly to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So, Also want to take this moment to wish everyone a happy Passover and a happy Easter. All that in the same week. And uh, spring break, too. So be safe out there. Hopefully you get a chance to uh, celebrate safely with some friends. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. back on the pipes magazine radio show and for pipe parts a review of a of a 2018 capstan blue and i have a uh, i have a bit of a history with capstan because this is the uh i was with uh, the sutliff mcbaron company when it was newly returned to the market uh but capstan goes way back and it's one of the more storied brands um goes all the way back to the company WD and HO Wills of England and is famous because uh, J.R.R. Tolkien smoked capstan and I mean several other people have smoked capstan. Um, it's gone through again a couple of reiterations and you know the, the the old classic and then it got modernized in England and then when it moved to McBaron obviously there were going to be some changes to it. 
But capstan blue in particular is what some might consider capstan medium. Because if you remember, there was a there's the yellow, which is the lighter version. The blue is the middle. And then there was a capstan full. And then there was also, I believe, a pink, which was a uh, which was a, a slightly different blend. So, but the blue and the yellow are the two core ones. Uh, the blue, in particular, is the one that interests me the most. And when when you first open the tin, you get a you get a good whiff of of Virginia tobacco. You don't get any slight sweetness or uh, light sweetness to it. Uh, moisture content pretty good right out of the tin a little too wet for me but again i like my tobaccos a little on the drier side uh, but it doesn't have a lot of that hay or grassy smell to me it's got a good tobacco smell maybe a little uh, a, a little richer smelling and a little deeper smelling uh, on smoking it i smoked it a couple of different ways you know just the uh, the the perry ensign twist and uh, bend and twist and fold method I rubbed it out all the way. Uh, the way I preferred it was, and this is me again, and you know I'm the leading expert on my own opinion, but I liked it uh, drier and rubbed out all the way, and I liked it in a smaller pipe. And again, I like my straight Virginias in a smaller pipe, so it just held pretty consistent with a straight Virginia. Uh, what I did notice is that without... Um, you know, without too much effort, it smoked really well, smoked easily, and did not get overly hot. I didn't get it to bite me, so that was nice. I would imagine, though, if I did the same thing in a bigger bowl, I might have gotten it going a little too big and, you know, or a little too hot, and that might have might have bit me pretty good. But anyway, it was it was pleasurable and satisfying. And I don't remember when I, you know, when I first smoked it, probably in 2014 or 15, I don't remember being that, um, uh, that excited by the pleasure of it. So it was interesting for me to go back and revisit this blend and find that, you know what, maybe with just a simple one to two years of age in the tin or three years, maybe it just calms right down and settles into a good tobacco blend that at the end of it, you know, you've smoked a good bowl of tobacco you don't have it doesn't have a real heavy aftertaste to it doesn't have a high nicotine content to it and you feel just very satisfied uh, now just for the tin description in uh, on tobaccoreviews.com it's just listed as a medium to mild blend of carefully selected virginia tobaccos with a natural aroma uh, the blend type is a straight virginia it's a flake uh, it comes in a ready-rubbed form, but, uh, you know, the, the ready-rubbed, I could go back and review that if, we, if we'd like, but I'm not, you know, the flake is pretty much the standard for, uh, for what we're looking at here. Uh, on tobacco reviews, the review that I thought was most interesting was from an account that is an emeritus account, and more on this stuff in the rant coming up, but uh, the review says, new version by McBaron. Beautiful light brown thin flakes in the tin. Perfect for folding. A nice clean tin aroma with the usual Virginia hay and grass and an underlying spicy fruitiness, but not over the top on any one aroma. In the pipe, this reminds me of a mix of McBaron's Virginia Flake and Dunhill Light Flake. It has the former's middle-of-the-road hay flavor, but... Uh, but not its lack of pizzazz. 
It has the latter's hint of sour, fu- uh, sour fruit and spiciness, but not its bold flavor. Uh, this would then be a solid, if unremarkable, Virginia Flake that smokes very cleanly and easily and with a very moderate amount of complexity. No overabundance of nicotine, and it stays lit very well. It shows some potential greatness at times, and this would be a good one for the seller and smoke again with some serious age on it. Something tells me a five-year-old tin of this would hit four stars solidly. I never consciously wanted for anything when smoking this. Never wished it were this or that. It was just a nice, comforting smoke that complexity took my, uh, took my mind off the fact that I was puffing. A nice, set-it-and-forget-it tobacco, but with the promise of something great down the road. So there, that that kind of, I, I think that reviewer summed up exactly what I thought of it and how I felt about it and uh, you know, just made it uh, made perfect sense and wrote it probably better than I said it. So there you go. Uh, Capstan Blue in the flake, available in uh, 50 gram. I think they might still do 100 gram. Um, probably not, but anyway, check it out. Let me know what you think of it. And in just a moment, we'll be back with Rick Newcomb. This is Internet Radio. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show with another seven questions for seven experts. And this week's return expert is a noted author of uh, multiple pipe books and a new book, which we'll get into later, as well as a doctor of pipes, Rick Newcomb. Rick, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Brian. It's always fun to be here. So here are your uh, seven experts' questions, and your first question is multiple choice. If you could only sell our 100 tins, would you prefer to have 100 tins of one blend, 50 tins each of two blends, 25 tins each of four blends, or 10 tins each of 10 blends, and why'd you pick the answer? Uh, 10 tins of 10 blends because I like a little bit of variety. Um, not too much variety, but so I picked uh, 10 blends and uh, then I thought, you know what? I could list another 10 that are very similar <laughs> that, you know, that with Phil. So that's, that would be my answer. 10 blends, uh, 10 tins. Do you want to know the tobaccos or no? Well, you so you have 10 blends that are equally, you don't have one that you'd want maybe a little bit more of versus the others? Well, they're all so similar. I mean, to give you an example, I put down, the first one I wrote was early morning, Daniel early morning uh, yep. tobacco. I, I think that uh, uh, that would probably be my favorite. But on the other hand, the next one I wrote was 965. The third one I wrote was nightcap. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, then Crown Achievement, Medal of Honor, Margate, Pembroke, Balkan Sobrani, 
Uh, I, I put down Frogmorton, but then I thought, I don't think they make that anymore. They don't really make Balkan Sobrani anymore either. So I've got no. a lot of cellar tobacco. Rashray's <laughs> number seven reserve. Then there's one, a C&D that I love called C&D Exclusive. That's really heavy perique. It's something Craig Tarler put together. He used to call it Escudo until the Escudo folks told him he had to change the name. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a... Uh, it's a very spicy tobacco and really strong um, because I think it's 50% perique or something. So I like that about once every two weeks. I like to have a bowl of that. So is that the pace from the English? Is, is that, is that the only non Latakia blend in your, uh, in your 10? That's correct. Yes. So you like your Latakia in small, medium and large doses. And then the occasional single shot of a perique blend. Uh, that's exactly right. Yes. And I prefer Cyprian Latakia to Syrian, though I do like Syrian Latakia. Um, I remember talking with, is it Lou Zischoltz uh, yeah. from New York? He's He used to review tobaccos in, uh, maybe for Bill Unger when, when he had the Pipe Collector newsletter. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about Cyprian Latakia he, Lou used to say it's peppery, and I thought that's a very good description, a very good word to describe what I taste in Cyprian Latakia. It's, it's like peppery. It's a little spicy, whereas Syrian Latakia, to me, it, it's more mellow. It's more like a cigar leaf kind of taste. Okay, so you're so you're contrarian. You're a contrarian to everybody else where you're not so much, uh, you know, crying the end of Syrian Latakia. Not particularly, no. And I do have a lot of old blends that include Syrian Latakia. Uh, but no, but, you know, over time, you know how people say um, Latakia, if you age it for 30 years or 50 years, it, it loses its its punch. Yeah. Well, I think that's what happens. It, it loses that peppery, but then goes to more of the cigar leaf kind of undertone. And they're both good. I mean, I I like both. And I don't claim to be an expert at this. I just... I just made a list of the, I saw your question uh, about, you know, one, what, like I think of a friend, yes, cannabis who smokes premier crew. At least mm-hmm. he did when I was with him. I mean, years for years and years, premier crew and Lars Iverson, same thing, the same blend premier crew. So I asked him, you know, what's in it. I think it's very much like a Scudo. Um, it's a Virginia with a little bit of Perique and that's what they smoke and they smoke nothing else. If you tried to give them a different blend, they would not like it. Uh, whereas I'm, I'm not like that. I, I like to experiment. Are you kind of envious of those people that have one blend that they really like and it satisfies them all the time? I'm not. I think it's a good thing to keep experimenting, keep trying. It's, it's just fun. You get to do your own blending. Um, and or it's like I remember when Fred Hanna was talking about baking a certain yeah. tobacco. I tried that. And, uh, you know, I think that's fun to experiment. Rich Esserman talks about taking, uh, you know, spending an evening just doing blending. I've done that. And it's just it's it's a lot of fun. And so it makes the hobby more enjoyable for me. Whereas if you just smoke one blend over and over and over, it, then it's really much more like a uh, like a habit like an addiction, uh, like an addicted smoker going for his fix, as opposed to a hobbyist 
um, tr- looking, seeking variety and experimenting. Yeah, and I guess you don't want to go to the same restaurant for the same meal every night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. Although, if it's a good pizza. Uh, anyway. Uh, That's true. <laughs> all right, so we've gone through question number one and two. How about question number three? Are you ready? Sure. What is the oldest tobacco you have smoked, and what was your experience with it? Well, it's interesting. A lot of the tobaccos I have now that I've been cellaring since it was really 1993 that I started um, seriously cellaring tobacco. And when I when I say cellaring, what I mean is I bought picnic cooler ice chests from a sporting goods store, and um, what it means is if you put your, if you open the thing and you put your hand in, they have constant temperature. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to store tobacco, um, experts have told me that, uh, that heat is just terrible for storing tobacco. Um, cold deep freeze isn't bad. I mean, if you have a choice of too hot or too cold, uh, you definitely want to be too cold, but the ideal is just a constant temperature. Now, how do you create a constant temperature in a room? You know, it's it's very difficult because all like in a closet because, you know, closets get hot and they get cold with the house um, and with the change of weather. So it was when I was working with uh, a fellow, Tony Rodriguez, mm-hmm. Tony and I were talking about this and trying to figure it out. And we were at a sporting goods store buying some weightlifting equipment together. And Tony said, you know, what about we get one of these and, and put the tobacco in there as a, for a constant temperature. And I said, you know, I think that would work. So we tried one and, and sure enough, it absolutely worked. So then I bought a whole bunch and I have, <laughs> that's what I stored the tobacco in. And then your wife looked at you and said, what are you doing? You going on a big picnic? Well, we have a, a little shed out back that I keep it all in. <laughs> Does she know what's out there? Well, I don't know. I do know that uh, we had a problem with the electrical wiring, and the electrician, who's a really good guy, had to spend a, a, a day in that room. Um, and not all the I, not all my tobacco was stored in 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 picnic cooler ice chests. So there was a fair amount of pipe tobacco all over the room, you know, that that, that smelled. And because it's a very small room, and so you walk in and you smell tobacco. And uh, he had to spend a day of fixing the electricity in that room. And he called me that night and said, Rick, I have the worst headache. I think it's the tobacco you've got. (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny. I said, well, Brett, if you ever want to take up a pipe, I can teach you how to. That's really, uh, that tobacco is aging. It's it's increasing in value sitting out there. (laughs) He said, well, it gave me a headache. So... (laughs) I just thought that was funny. Yeah. So so going back to the question, so it's about 20, 25 years, about the oldest you've ever smoked? Well, that is what I smoke typically today. Um, every bowl. Or almost every, not, not every bowl, but at least 70% of the time. I do remember once my friend Ed Lehman gave me some very value. He knew I loved early morning tobacco, and he gave me a tin of early morning tobacco, Dunhill that was made um, probably early 50s. And it had a picture of Queen Elizabeth, and he was explaining why it was, what year, how they could guess the year, and so on. And I opened it, and it had, um, it was very, very dry. Mm. And 
So I put a little water in, but I overdid it and I created mildew and I ruined it. And I'll never forget that because mm. I never really got to enjoy it the way it should have been enjoyed. And it was my fault. I was from being inexperienced and, uh, and making a mistake on, you know, you learn from it. Like that would never happen again. What I would do today, if I had that tin uh, and I opened it and it was totally dried out, I probably would dump it into a bowl and then get a another tin of early morning that was not um, dried out. That, you know, was, I, I probably wouldn't get a brand new one. I'd, I'd probably get a Murray's one that still was very moist, you know, still sealed in the in the tin and then pop it open and combine the two. And then it would be it would have been delicious. You'd get the 40 year old tobacco and the 20 year old tobacco and the dry and the wet and they they balance it out and then it just comes out perfect. That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with Rick Newcomb. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age. What you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe. Just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes. And you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, Seven Questions for Seven Experts, version two with Rick Newcomb. And uh, Rick, during the break, you were telling me you you had something about a Red Virginia that you had an experience with? Yeah, well, it was McCraney's 1983 Red Virginia, which then they they offered for sale again, like I think in 97. and I remember Bo Nord at the at the Chicago Pipe Show bought that was his favorite blend. It, mm. it, I think it was called McCrane. Was it? It wasn't just McCraney's Red Virginia. I think it said '83 on it in yeah. 2006. Isn't that right? Or did it just say Red Virginia? I can't remember. It, it said Red Ribbon, and then it would have a year mm-hmm. that it was tinned, but it would have a crop that it was from, and yeah. Okay, Red Ribbon. Yeah, and. Uh, so that's a great blend. Well, you know, Pipe Stud, Steve Fallon, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago offered, uh, he just got a whole bunch of uh, unopened tins from a long time ago of Red Virginia. And um, I asked Steve, I said, how, how did that go? And he said they were gone in like one minute, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't just one person. He had a limit of two per, per customer or something. So this was a very popular blend. <laughs> and so I mentioned that I, I had bought 10 tins of that red ribbon from McCraney's in 1997. Only I popped every tin and blended them with Latakia. Uh, <laughs> I had 
then I was talking to Rich Esterman. He said, what kind of Latakia did you use? I said, I had some McCraney, I mean, some McClellan's Latakia and some consolidated Latakia. And um, it was about 35% Latakia, 65% Red Ribbon. And I re repacked uh, the tins, plus I had one extra tin that was because the Latakia, you know, it was a little bit of extra. Yeah. And so I packed them pretty tight and put the, the lid on. And then I, I put like three or four tins in a vacuum sealed bag. Uh, and so I have these vacuum sealed bags that, and then I put them in the Pickland cooler ice chest. So I hadn't pulled these out since 1997. So it's a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, and I pulled one out the other night as a result of the, this conversation with Steve Fallon and Rich Esterman. And I've been smoking it ever since. And it's just so delicious. I'm so glad <laughs> I did it, you know. So at first I was regretting it, thinking, oh, no, I could have sold those tins for resold them for a lot more money. But no, this is why I do it. And it's just it's worked out perfectly. <laughs> now you have a uh, you have a unicorn and you get to enjoy it for a while. Yeah, exactly. All right. Next question for you. Um how has your preference in pipes changed over time? You know, for example, bents versus straight, smooth, rusticated size. I, I, I'm not crazy about small pipes today. Um, on the other hand, I like, uh, by, I, by small, I mean small bolt pipes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like small pipes, but what I call little giants, you know, where they have a big bowl with a big bowl capacity. Um, the and yet i don't use long pipes very much other than maybe on a weekend if i'm watching a movie or something uh, but for the most part i like these little giants and that i have it's just been sort of an evolution but when i when i go to pipe shows and i look at pipes, you know how some of the italians they have just gorgeous pipes and then they have little tiny narrow air holes uh, or tobacco chambers is, is um, that I never understand. And my yeah. friend Mitch Michelson, who was just such a wonderful person, yeah, uh, and a Texan, you know, he had a great way of uh, describing things. That other people, you know, pull out calipers and they measure the millimeters and the fractions of an inch. And Mitch said, "Oh, forget all that. I just use the thumb test." I said, "What's that?" He sticks his thumb in the bowl. It was, you know, it depends how far how far down his thumb goes. If he can't hardly fit it in, he doesn't want the pipe. If he can, you know, if it has a good room for the thumb, uh, we know we've got a good bowl capacity. So over the years, I have become more particular. I've always, ever since Jim Benjamin taught me about the open air airflow, you know, five thirty seconds of an inch or eleven sixty fourths of an inch through the drill bit through the uh, through the shank i actually i have settled on 4.5 millimeters as what i like it's a little bit bigger than than 1164 it's nowhere near as big as 3 sixteenths of an inch but on the air hole and then on the tobacco chamber i like to be able to stick my thumb at least a quarter of the way if not half the way down into the bowl um those things are more important to me than sandblast or smooth or bent or straight. And as long as the shape is something that you like, you're, you're not so much concerned about the exterior of it. Um, 
Well, I am and I'm not. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, sometimes I like beautiful grain and I love certain stains call to me. You know, it, it just that's the beauty of pipes is that we yeah. are, things it's hard. It's hard to um, quantify, you know, something that's that's so personal and and having to do with aesthetics and and what 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 appeals to you you know uh it's like to me it's like being drawn to beauty um so it, i i don't have a i don't have a simple answer on that <laughs> other than to say i really do admire all pipe makers for trying you know for for um for trying to create beauty out of, as well as function um what what did Jim Jim Cook used to call it functioning artwork? Yeah, and it's not that you you know if you looked at a, a seven inch long four and a half ounce freehand, the the outside tobacco the outside dimensions of the bowl was three and a half inches, but the tobacco chamber was only three quarters of an inch. You're you're not going to buy it, but you can still appreciate the artwork in it. That's right. That's right. As long as it's done well. If it's done poorly, then you're not going to appreciate it so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, and I, what what I admire is um, when someone is really good and they still take their time. Uh, I mean, that's where Yes Conovitz is like the ultimate in terms of it. Just all kinds of little things that you notice. If, if uh, I get a high grade pipe. And it's got a horn um, ring, you know, that or inlay. And um, with a lot of them, you take your thumb and you rub it along the shank on the wood and you hit the inlay and you can feel a little bump. Yeah. You know, it, whereas with a Conovitz, if he's got a horn, it is in there. It's as if you, there, you don't feel anything. You could be blind. Now, how how does he create that and somebody else does not? Well, he will spend an extra four hours sanding that to make it just like that so that you create that effect. Yeah. As I'm sitting here feeling my pipe and going, wait, do I feel a transition there? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> it's not a Conowitz. Um, next question. Uh, what is the pipe you own that has the most sentimental value not exactly monetarily, but why? Well, I would say there are probably two pipes that uh, have a really special meaning. Um, one was a Nana pipe that my daughter, when Nana Iverson lived in New York City and my daughter was in school in New York City, and they got together a few times, and Sarah, my daughter, uh, commissioned Nana to make me a pipe. And... Um, <laughs> And then when I turned 70 this summer, my son Jack um, called Yes Conovitz. He knew Yes from his childhood. Yes would yes and Bonnie would come and stay at our house. And, and Jack really liked Yes a lot. Yeah. And he called him and told him that he wanted to get me a special present for my 70th birthday. And uh, Yes made him a pipe. I have no idea what what the pipe makers charge my kids. Um, <laughs> I hope they gave him a break. <laughs> But anyway, those two pipes are really special for sentimental reasons. Yeah, I can I can see why. Yeah. Uh, next question. How does the situation affect your pipe and tobacco choice? And we're talking about outdoor versus indoor, morning versus evening, 
you know, maybe a pipe while you're on the go or a pipe while you're sitting in the chair? Okay. I, I, there's no such thing as a pipe on the go for me anymore. It used to be. Um, but, and, and I used to always keep a, a corn cob in the, in the glove compartment with a, a bag of tobacco, just in case I got stuck in a traffic jam in LA, I could light up a pipe. I haven't done that in, in 10 years. Um, and, and I never walk with a pipe. Uh, I just don't. I mean, I, I can understand it. Uh, when I was a little kid, I remember there was a man, Mr. Brennan, Mr. and Mrs. Brennan would take a walk every night and he would smoke his pipe and he looked so happy, you know, they both looked happy. And I was a little kid. I have this memory, but, um, I don't do that. I, when I smoke a pipe, uh, I like to sit down and really enjoy the pipe. And I'm, and I've cut way back from, uh, like three or four every day to um, maybe one or one and a half pipes a day. And that okay. has to do with, with aging. Um, see, I, I, I did a YouTube recording saying that the, the health benefits of pipes, the world of pipes, mm-hmm. and two of the biggest killers of the elderly are stress and loneliness. And the world of pipes offers a solution for both. For loneliness, we have, you know, pipe clubs, we have pipe connections, we have pipe, the, the whole world of pipe collecting is, it's a whole world too. Yeah. It's the people in China, people in Russia, people in Japan, people in Europe, um, Australia, Africa. So it literally is the whole world. And we have this camaraderie, this brotherhood of the briar, whatever you want to call it. So it's, it's an antidote to loneliness. And then on the stress part, it, there's nothing more relaxing than a pipe um, that you really enjoy. Don't inhale it, but just, just concentrate on how relaxing it is. It just, you know, as Ed Colpin, the founder of the Tinderbox, who lived in 97, he used to say, you live longer with a pipe because it, it kind of takes the pressure off. It, ta- it lets the air out. It helps you unwind. Um, so for myself, I used to, my, I used to say my favorite pipe was, and I wrote about this in still searching for pipe dreams. I have a chapter where I interviewed a, a bunch of experienced pipe smokers asking, what is your favorite pipe of the day? And, and it's funny at that time, my favorite pipe of the day was the first one in the morning with coffee. Mm-hmm. Well, I've changed. I mean, that was then, and this is now, uh, now my favorite pipe is usually the one pipe I smoke. And it's, it's usually from like 5 PM to 6 PM, uh, one hour before dinner. I just seem to sit back and relax and enjoy that pipe. Uh, usually indoors, sometimes outdoors, just depending. Does um, the, does the pipe that you're going to pick or the tobacco that you're going to pick, does it vary depending on if it's indoor or outdoor? Uh, not, not so much. Um, first of all, mostly uh, I smoke indoors, but secondly, with the windows wide open, living in Southern California, when you yeah. go outdoors, the climate is not a lot different from indoors. It's not like when we <laughs> travel, let's say on a ski trip and there's no smoking in the hotel and, you know, I'm supposed to go s- shiver out in the snow and smoke, you know, I don't, I really don't like that. Uh, you t- usually you know, I'll find some place like some kind of cigar lounge or someplace indoors where it's allowed. Um, but I prefer, um, you know, just having 
one pipe that that I just so enjoy. Now, here's one thing you should know. I've I've started doing is I will pick out pipes that just when when I wake up in the morning, I think of pipes and I think <laughs> of um oh, I haven't smoked that one in a while. I haven't tried this one. Something something will spark it. And so then I'll go and look at my collection and find those pipes. And then what I do is load them up. Uh, sometimes it'll be two pipes. Sometimes it'll be six pipes. And I will load them with tobacco and keep a list of which tobaccos I put into which pipe. And then uh, whichever one I feel like smoking that night, uh, one or two, um, I will. that's what I'll smoke that day. And then the next – and I'll cross them off the list. And the next day I'll smoke – another two and then the next day another another one and then the next day another one and then then i'll start that all over again so you I don't know had, why i do that but that's what i do well it kind of it kind of gets you looking forward to the end of your day and planning your whole week out that's a, sort of yeah yeah in a way all right next question uh what famous pipe smoker from the past would you like to share a bowl a bowl with and it has to be someone you never met right the that's such an interesting question, and there are so many. But I would say one I would really, really enjoy would be Bertrand Russell. Um, I don't always agree with what he wrote with his politics and so on. But on the other hand, he just seemed like such a kind man and so brilliant. And um, he loved his pipes. There's a thing on YouTube where he's asked, you know, what – what vice, you know, would you have found it the most difficult to give up or did you enjoy the most in your life? And he said, oh, tobacco, my pipe. So <laughs> right off the bat, you know, this guy just loved his pipe and he lived to 97 or 98, something like that. And he would just be so much fun. I remember one time I was in Dubai and they had a pipe store in the in the mall of the Emirates or whatever it was called. And um, there was a young man who was a student he was a graduate student and he was looking to buy his first pipe and he was asking the guy behind the counter who knew nothing about pipes so <laughs> oh, no. i said i said to him i know a little bit you know like maybe i could help you and he i said what are you looking for he said i'm looking for a pipe like bertrand russell liked wow and i said i said well those are like the old dunhills with smaller bowls longer shanks i mean longer mouthpieces um, I don't know that, and we we looked and we found something a little bit that approximated that. Uh, but anyway, I just would really enjoy uh, talking with Bertrand Russell. One of the one of the things that I would like to do, though, I fantasized about this many times, is when you take somebody like uh, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, or uh, Russell, or who are some other famous? Well, Conan Doyle, of yeah. course, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. Um, if you or Einstein is a perfect example where if you could talk about the importance of really beautiful pipes, pipes as works of art, not just smoking instruments and about, uh, you know, the open airflow and the dry, just the, I mean, just the right amount of dryness and moisture in your tobacco and all of the things we've learned and that we collectors focus on now it's a whole different experience. Uh, Tolkien would just, they'd be so excited about this. I know this because they love their pipes. Have you ever, I'll give you an example. This, this calls this to mind. 
one time at an L.A. pipe show. This was probably 20 years ago. There was a fellow named Bill Littlefield. And he was very well known in Los Angeles politics. He was the uh, public defender, head of the public defender's office for the city of Los Angeles for many decades. And so you think about the, the high profile crimes that came through L.A. that he was overseeing, defending like Sirhan Sirhan, the guy who shot Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. Uh, Charles Manson, you know, I mean, just uh, just <laughs> Legion, you know, the, the Hillside Strangler, whatever. So Bill Littlefield, uh, I met him. My wife is an, is an attorney, and um, she's Irish, and as I am, and part Irish, and, and Bill Littlefield was Irish. So we were at a, a dinner of the Irish-American Bar Association, um, in i think it was in hermosa beach california one night and after dinner uh, i went outside and uh, this was this was in the early 90s so it was at the time of the oj trial and uh, i was uh, i went outside and there was a man sitting outside alone smoking his pipe so i pulled out my pipe and the guy had brought one and i smoked with him his name was bill littlefield that was this guy and I said, what do you think of the O.J. trial? He said, oh, he walks. And I said, what do you mean he walks? He said, oh, yeah. Once they decided to have it, uh, the trial in downtown L.A., um, it's over. There's no way a, a jury's going to convict O.J. Now, he said this a year and a half before the not guilty verdict was announced. So he really knew his business. Wow. Um, and it was an amazing guy. So I talked to Bill. I said, tell me what kind of pipe you're smoking. It was a Cheriton. And but it was kind of old and beat up, you know, he had obviously smoked it a million times. And I said, have you ever been to a pipe show? And he said, no, what's a pipe show? So I told him. And so he came to one hmm. and I walked him around and I said, well, let's find you a good Sheraton, you know, and we, I think he bought four or five of them, you know, because he didn't know anything about pipe shows or look, he didn't <laughs> know there was such a selection. He was like a kid in heaven. He was just saying, this is so much fun. <laughs> I just, I haven't had this much fun in a long time. Thank you so much. You know, he's so grateful that I told him about a pipe show. So that's why when I picture with Bertrand Russell or some of these, these, these classic pipe smokers in history who, if, you know, imparting the knowledge that we've all acquired through pipe collecting and just making it fun. Yeah. That's what I think would be really fun. All right, and the bonus question, because you have a new book, so I think I know the answer to this. Um, what other hobbies do you have? So the hobby that I have that I've had since I was 12 years old is lifting weights. And I wrote, during the, the lockdown, uh, I wrote a book called The Magic of Lifting Weights. And I wanted to tell my own story about being 12 years old and seeing a muscle magazine and vowing to uh, someday have as much muscle as the man on the cover, who was Mr. France. Um, and I tell the story about how I did that. It took a long time and there was a lot of uh, quitting and then starting again and then quitting and then starting again and how it finally all came together. And I really stuck with it. And uh, But then I discovered that as a result, you know, I, I reached the goal in my mid-30s, but I had developed this habit of, of lifting light weights with good form um, year after year, week after week, year after year. And uh, when I turned 40, I felt very youthful. 
when I turned 50, same thing. 60, I noticed the same thing. Now I turn 70, and I, it, it, it's as if this lifting lightweights with good form gives me this, this foundation for energy um, for my golden years. And I just thought, you know, it's a great message. I should, I should tell my story. And uh, anybody who's, who's interested in working out or lifting weights, um, I, I hope you'll find it interesting. And I, and I tell them the same conversational style that In Search of Pipe Dreams and Still Searching for Pipe Dreams are told in, which is, that's, you know, my writing style is, is the, the ultimate compliment to me is if someone reads it, reads something I've written and says, wow, I felt like you, we were having a conversation. Because that, yeah. that's a special skill and that is what I work at as a writer. We'll put a uh, link to the book in in the note in the show notes here, but you can also I'm um, I'm assuming it's on Amazon now, so you could just Google search Rick Newcomb N E W C O M B E, right? Right. The magic of lifting weights. Yes. Yep. And uh, there's also um, I have something called a, a YouTube page. Mm-hmm. You know, being seventy, I'm not very familiar with this stuff. What What happened was, I. Uh, uh, a year ago last summer, I think, um, the we hired at, at our company, and my son Jack is is running the company, and, and, and I'm there as an advisor and a consultant, and, and I get to do what I want to do. Um, but he hired an intern during that summer uh, named Will, and Will was very into video. And Will... Uh, came to me one day and said, hey, can I set up a YouTube page for you? And I said, sure. I don't know what that is, but sure. So he set up a YouTube page for me. Um, and he did some recordings and and uh, where I would promote some of the books we were publishing. Um, I talked about pipes. I talked about bodybuilding. And then um, my brother John is a filmmaker, and he made a film, a 25-minute mini documentary about lifting weights Uh, so if you go to my youtube page that's the first thing that shows up and um oh he he did a phenomenal job it's just really great old footage and fantastic soundtrack he picked music from each decade so decade if we were talking about the 60s he had music from the 60s if we were in the 80s he had music from the 80s and it's just it's a lot of fun it gives you sort of a preview of, of the book um but the idea of, you know, I just love lifting light weights and uh, not, you know, my point is that, that you got to figure out how to, how to enjoy exercise. If you don't enjoy it, you won't stick with it. If you take this attitude of no pain, no gain, uh, that's fine for a short period of time, but it won't last. Um, and so it, it, I almost take a pipe sm- smoking approach to lifting weights that it's it's more zen it's it's like just relax have good form use light weights um don't don't push too hard you know but as you just you just keep doing it and you will you the benefits flow they flow into you and the stress flows out of you that's exactly right they're both anti-stress yes rick thank you very much for coming back on and doing this oh thanks brian hope it was helpful We'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. 
From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And I tell you, the, the thing that I most enjoy about talking to Rick is Rick Rick brings passion to everything. And every, everything that he does and gets involved with is something that he's passionate about. And it just comes through. I mean, I you know, no chance of me becoming a bodybuilder. But, man, it's just, yeah, I just love, I love people that are passionate about stuff. All right, for music. Uh, done with the Harry Connick Jr. Because apparently, well, you'll see that didn't go over so well. Uh, we'll go back to Steve Earle and get a little, uh, get a little bluegrass, a little American music. Uh, and this is from the Low Highway Deluxe Edition album. And this one's uh, kind of fun if you listen to it. Uh, it's 21st Century Blues. Here I am in the 21st century. Had to say as cool as I hoped it would be No man on the moon, no body on Mars Where the hell is my flying car? Ain't nothing even like a teletransporter so far It's hard times in the new millennium Getting by with just a In the heart of America No love in a time of hysteria It's the people the hills that a man for himself Nobody helping out nobody else Ain't the way that the Maurice said it'd be In the 21st century
Yeah, where is my flying car? Um, anyway, uh, Steve Earle, pipe smoker, musician. Check him out on uh, Spotify, just like I did. Monday, Monday. You've got mail. Tuesday, Wednesday. You've got mail. Thursday, Friday. You've got mail. And mailbag comments or questions, email them directly to me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com, or post them on Pipes Magazine on the uh, show page, or you can uh, follow me on Facebook or Instagram and... Uh, reach out to me there and got a few to catch up on uh, mo writes uh hi brian i've been behind on my pipes magazine radio show listening and have been working hard to catch up and finally there uh great shows lately by the way really enjoying your seven question series i thought i'd comment on a recent episode's rant rave the one where you mentioned the queen's gambit on netflix You'd suggested that it was a terrific movie, but were disappointed that they didn't depict the pipe smoking that should have been evident during that time period. Well, you're right on both accounts. I really enjoyed the show. It was extremely well-directed and acted, but as you said, no pipe smoking. So I thought I'd pass along a little sleeper of a Netflix movie that you might enjoy. The name of the flick is The Dig. It is a little slower moving, but also well-acted and is based on a true story. You'll be pleased to see that one of the main characters in the story, the hero, in my opinion, was a pipe smoker. And I think that his pipe smoking was depicted with good realism. They didn't pull any punches like the movie Enola Holmes, where Enola's brother, Sherlock, carried a pipe, but they never actually showed him actively smoking it. In The Dig, the character was shown clearly enjoying his pipe. Anyway, Brian, I don't want to ruin the show for you or your listeners by giving any more of it away other than to say that I found it an entertaining and satisfying film that prominently displayed a protagonist pipe smoker. I will definitely be watching it again. All the best, Mo. Oh, there you go. Got something else to put on my list. And uh, thank you very much for emailing that in. Uh, Going back to uh, with Rich Esserman and... S.W. Wright says, or S. Wright 6 says, oh, Scott Wright. Okay, says, uh, Brian, thank you for bringing the seven questions to the expert series. Rich was thoroughly enjoying to hear again. Thanks for your time and energy to, to put into each show, along with Kevin's time and work as well. Uh, constantly learning from you and your guests. Keep up the great work for the hobby. Sincerely, Scott. Thank you, Scott. We'll do. Uh, going back to uh, going to last week with Steve, the pipe stud Fallon, Dino writes, Steve is such a delightful conversationalist, both insightful and funny. I enjoyed his answers to the seven questions. I'm also proud to say that a guy I know is so generous and caring in support of your JDRF campaign. Good on you, Steve. Uh, Dino also says, I like Harry, Harry Connick Jr., and I love Cole Porter, but Harry's blatant imitation of Frank Sinatra was unnecessary. Harry needs to be Harry, at which he is incredibly good. Um, was that your best rant? Maybe. Or is the or, or it's the one I like the best. Thanks, Dino. Yeah, okay, Dino. You're trying to trip me up there. I caught you. Uh, Bo Ellis writes another great episode, as always. Steve is one of my favorite guests to hear on the show, and I always look forward to seeing what... He has to sell on his website. Unfortunately, though, I'm either too slow to grab some of the vintage tobaccos he has for sale or my wallet slaps my hand and tells me no. Uh, Music was okay, but the rant was great and made up for it. Ha ha. Keep up the great work, Bo. Uh, Bo, I got to tell you, I have the same problem with Steve's website. Um, I'm too too slow or 
I don't know, too cheap. Um, but yeah, I, man, I've missed some tobaccos that I would have liked to have purchased. And Steve won't do me any favors because he doesn't play favorites or he can't remember what my name is, one of the two. Uh, Papa Mike writes, I could listen to Steve for hours. What a kind and genuine soul with a great sense of humor. Great show. Thank you. And Casey Ghost writes, I don't know why, but Steve's always positive vibe with a Texas accent just seems so right. You would think there is a bluebird of happiness on his shoulder. Uh, his pipe and tobacco sales through his website has been a godsend to many of us, both sellers and buyers. Even though the cost of doing business to sellers can be a little onerous, he is easily one of the most liked people in the community. Oh, congratulations on becoming the holy moly pontiff of pipes. Music was fairly enjoyable. <laughs> All right, so a little explanation on that. Yes, I, I got ordained because I'm performing a wedding uh, or officiating a wedding. So I'm now ordained. Add that to a doctor of pipes. Uh, might be the most reverend doctor of pipes, but I won't go that far. Um, also, <laughs> to finish it off, Renfield says... Another excellent, excellent show. Steve is an always entertaining guest. Great rant. Like you said, don't worry about the mythical best. Look for your own favorite, regardless of how popular it is or isn't. You'll probably end up trying a lot of blends, but the quest is a big part of the fun that is pipe smoking. Yes, it is. Uh, and then he also says in his signature, without music, life would be a mistake. <laughs> Can't disagree with you on that. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, Travel-related questions, let me know. Had a couple people reach out to me this week, so that was fun to talk travel and point them in the right direction. Just feel free to hit me up. And in just a moment, rant time. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. This rant time is brought to you in part by TobaccoReviews.com. <laughs> no, I'm not promoting them. I'm ranting about them. Why? Because apparently they did a redesign recently, which is, uh, let me just say, cold and uninviting and uh, calculating and just, you know what, pretty much freaking boring and ugly. Uh, but that's just my opinion, which I'm the leading expert on. But if you take a look at it, I'm sure you'll find out that it's just cold and, I don't know, freaking boring. Uh, but in reality, what really bothers me about it is, is apparently they went through and un, uh, unsubscribed a whole bunch of previous reviewers and made them emeritus accounts and took their names off if they hadn't been active within X amount of time or whatever. But whatever it is, so now you can go through, read reviews from people, like the one that I read earlier, and you have no idea who the hell that is and how to track down what other things they reviewed. So you can't even go and look and see, well, maybe I like what this person smokes, so maybe I'll try a few more things that he that this person liked. And it's just, 
emeritus account great you know what me and emeritus account we get along on several things we hate each other on several things and you know i don't know what it is but anyway i can tell you what the problem is with tobaccoreviews.com it's run by people that don't understand pipe tobacco they don't understand the pipe smoker and they don't understand the consumer and they really don't understand pipe tobacco period because i know who these people are and they need to just you know what sell the website off to somebody who cares about it and understands it instead of just doing this to it which is just cold calculating boring and uh oh did i say uh freaking boring yeah well that's what i think about it it's just ugly and has no warmth to it and all these emeritus accounts so there you go still a valuable source for us all right thank you very much to uh mike zika again for helping me with the seven questions Thank you to Rick Newcomb for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather about me. I'm Batman.